We are in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be covering verses 7 through 12 today. I titled it, Ask, Seek, and Knock, right? These are the words that Jesus says. And again, this, this whole section here, is, chapter 7, is probably, if people have been around church at any point in their lives, this is probably the part they know about or hear about. So we talked about judgment last week, and now we're going to talk about seeking God, asking and praying, things like that. Um, and so... When I was in the third grade ele- you know, elementary school, um, they would do the fundraisers. Right? I'm sure if you guys had kids, you guys had, you had probably something similar going on out here as well, right? Um, it was pretty cool when we did it because as a third grader, they gave everybody a big cardboard suitcase, right? And so they had the catalogs in there, but you also had all these other items. You had like the the little trinkets and things like that. So you could kind of demo them for people. They wanted to buy stuff, right? And so all these samples they had, and I don't remember everything, but I remember, you know, we lived in the city, so we had to, I had to lug this box around for four or five blocks because, you know, you could, hit them, you could hit up my neighbors and it was fine, but you had to go a little, a little further out to try to make your sales because if you wanted the little, the trips or the little T-shirts or whatever they had to get, like if you sold so many items, you got this or that, you know, um, and it got heavy, right? And the and the and the the handle would break after a couple times because it would get wet because it was hot and you know sweaty. So the, the cardboard kind of starts failing, and so you get and then you got to carry it around by like this. And you're I'm third grader, like kind of carrying this box around with me. Um, but I did it because I was hopeful that people would buy something, right? I wanted the people to buy stuff. I was trying to maybe get the T-shirt or whatever it was, and so. You go around and you're hoping that you make enough sales and make enough money to, to get whatever you wanted out of it, right? I trusted that I could go door to door and people would support the school and they would support me. Right? Here you have a little blonde-haired third grader coming up. Hey, you want to buy some stuff? You know, wrapping paper or whatever it was. Um, and the bad thing was that, of course, the neighbor, it was a neighborhood school, basically. So it was kind of like this. If you live here, you have all the kids trying to sell to everybody. Right, so some people were nice. They would buy one or two things, and they kind of bought one or two things from everybody, or at least a few people. Um, right, because that's the gener- we're relying on the generosity of people also, because you're going to the door, and then you know they're not going to use whatever it is. Now, I think that's why they, when, when our kids were in school, they did transition to like uh, like the the wrapping paper and things like that. So they sold it all in o- October or September, October, and so you had the, the nice wrapping paper by, you know, early December, so you could do all your Christmas gifts and things like that, right? So it made it a lot easier to just carry the catalog around with you versus a big, a big box. I'm not sure why they thought that was good. Um, but we do these things, right? We do all this stuff because we're hoping people are going to be nice to us, be generous to us, and, and we constantly go to the door and ask for people to do these things, even though they don't want it, right? And so... Sometimes we feel the same way with God. We, go, we, we feel like we pray. We go, okay, God, I'm asking you for this thing. I've been asking you for, for weeks or months or years, and I still haven't got an answer, right? So sometimes it may, we may want to give up, right? We may want to just say, well, what's the point? Maybe he's not answering me. And I'm tired of asking. I'm tired of knocking on this door, right? And so Jesus is encouraging us. We're going to see how he, how he words it and what, he's, what he tells us to keep doing these things and what our motivation really should be. And it's not to get necessarily the answer, but it's to get, show the fact that we trust God that he is going to take care of us, right? And so that's the important part. So we're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, and then we'll go through the outline and explain everything through the sermon. 
And so Jesus says in the sermon, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those, or give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. All right, so we, we, we end there for today, and, and depending on how your, what Bible translation you have, verse 12 may be in a different section than the Ask, Search, Knock piece, um, and the CSB keeps it together because it all kind of goes together with, with, with the whole asking and seeking. So here's the big idea for today, though. Uh, the big takeaway is, is God is generous with his grace, and we can trust him to give us what we need. I don't know why I have the extra width in there, but it's all right. So God is generous with his grace, and he can tr we can trust him to give us what we need. Just cross out the extra width. All right, so we have three different pieces here. So we have, on your outline, you have go to the door, giving good gifts, and reciprocal generosity. All right, and so verses 7 and 8, so Jesus tells us ask, seek, and knock, right? It's a simple formula. Ask and you'll get, you'll get it. If you look for it, you're going to find it. And if you knock your door, the doors will be open, right? So all three of these verbs, right, these are all in the present imperatives, right? So that's a fancy way for saying it. It indicates that persistence we should be doing these things with persistence. We should be doing it ongoing. It should be a continual thing. It's not just ask one time and then wait around for it. It's continual motion, continual action. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And this persistence is what we should do when we make our requests known to God. And so again, this, this suggests that, that our, persist, our prayer should persist over a period of time. It shouldn't just be, hey, just like going to the door, like, hey, sir, you want to buy some items? And they say, sure, no problem. And that's just a one-time deal, right? It's, it's already, he bought it or she bought it, so I'm done. I don't have to ask that person anymore. Because if you keep going back to the door, they're going to say, look, I already bought from you, right? Look, kid, go away. I don't need to buy anymore from you. You're, you're, we're good. Um, but he's saying, look, you just need to keep doing this. Keep being persistent about it. And when we go back to chapter 6, right, Jesus was already talking about prayer in chapter 6 with the Lord's Prayer. And he teaches, the, he teaches the disciples how to do this. And so now he's bringing this, this idea of prayer, right? He's bringing it back like any good teacher. He brings things back up and he can, makes these connections because just like your kids, you have to tell your kids a hundred times to clean their room and eventually by the hundred and first time, hopefully they get it, right? Or you tell somebody to do something, hopefully they get it because that repetition is what builds learning. So when, you, when you're tired of hearing it, you finally are hearing it. After a while, right? You say, oh, I get it now. He's talking about prayer. Okay, I need to pray, right? And so we know that the Lord's Prayer, and he's bringing this instruction back here, but it's from a slightly different angle. Right here, he kind of gave it, in chapter 6, he kind of gave us the formula on how to pray. And now he's saying, he's kind of giving us on the, the when and how often, right? So it's pretty much, it's like voting, vote early and vote often, Right, so it's the same thing. It's the same approach. Pray, pray early, pray often, pray, pray late, pray, keep going, keep praying. And so in verse 8, right, he says that for everyone who asks receives, who, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And so 
some people have taken this verse, right? Because we can say, well, does this mean I just have to name it and claim it and we get it? Right? So, hey, God, I want this. And if God doesn't give it to you, does that mean God has failed you? No, of course not, right? It's, it's, it doesn't mean that we just get to say things and all of a sudden they appear. He's not a magic genie. He was, he's, a, he's not giving us three wishes. He's not just saying, all right, God, I need a new whatever. I need a new washing machine today. And if you don't get it, it doesn't mean God just didn't give you a new washing machine. It just means you have other things going on right now. Or you may be in the process of getting one, but you just haven't gotten it yet. And so you need to keep praying, right? But so, so we do these things because we're usually praying for more important things than a washing machine or a new car, things like that. But sometimes those are important. So it doesn't just mean we just name it and claim it. But really what it means, though, because other scriptures back up other things, like James uh, 4, verses 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Right, so when we do go to God, when we go to him, when we come to this door, we should be asking with like the formula in chapter 6 where we say, I recognize you are who you are, God. You are the Lord of everything. So please give me what I need. Right, Give us this daily bread we're going to talk about in the second section. But give, us, give me what I need. Right, because that's how we should be praying. Because prayer is always about being in the correct mindset. It's not about being an expectant, petulant child. Right, and saying, well, you're God, you should give me what I want, right, because that's the difference, right? Give me what I want versus give me what I need, right? And so we sometimes confuse those things. And so Dio Moody, he, he wrote a, a, quite a few books on, on prayer, but one of the things he says, he talks about the Apostle James tells us that the prophet Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and I am thankful that those men and women who were so mighty in prayer were just like ourselves, we are apt to think that those prophets and mighty men and women of old were different from what we are. To be sure, they lived in a much darker age, but they were of like passions with ourselves, right? We, we succumb, what he's saying is we succumb to being a human being. We succumb to looking at things we want. Because sometimes the things we want are the things we need. We, I want food. We need food. That's okay. Right? But other things, like if I want something to happen... It may not be for the best overall picture of God's plan, right? So we, we do walk this line and we, we fall off on either side sometimes instead of kind of walking that, that center aisle way and saying, okay, I am, am I asking for what God wants me to have, right? And it's a difficult thing because sometimes we don't know what, what God wants us to have or what God wants other people that we're asking for on their behalf to have as well. And so Elijah, right, he prays, he brought down fire on Mount Carmel because the he was challenging the prophets of Baal, and they cried long and loud to their God, right? The, in Kings 19, they were, they, were, they were praying to Baal, but no answer came. And the God of Elijah, though, heard and answered his prayers, right? He sent fire down on them, fire to, to everything, and he you know, destroyed those prophets of Baal. And so let us remember that the God of Elijah still lives, right? The prophet was translated, and he went up to heaven, but his God still lives here, right? This God, Yahweh, he lives. We are the one, he is the one we worship. And he, we have the same access to him that Elijah had, right? So he sacrificed the bull and everything else to God, and, and all this stuff happened. Um, Elisha prayed as well, right? And, and life came back to a dead child. Many of our children are dead in trespasses and sins, D.L. Moody says. And so let us do as Elisha did. Let us entreat God to raise them up an answer to our prayers, right? Because God desires everybody to be saved. So when we're praying for our children, that is something 
good and useful and things that he wants as in God's will for him if, if it's in his will to be, for them to be saved. Right? Samuel's mother also prayed for a baby and she prayed so much and she promised that she promised to dedicate Samuel to the Lord and have him become a priest. Right? He became the last prophet, basically. And so here you have a mother who just wanted a child so bad, but she was like, I will take happily have this child and I will give, basically give him away over to the, to the priesthood. Like, so I'm going to have a child, then I'm going to make him go live with somebody else. It'd be like him moving in with us, and I would be training him to be a pastor or a priest. Right? It's the same thing. Like, this child you wanted so much, you, you could just have, be joyful and have it, the child and then give him away. Right? And so why do these men and women pray to God, right? Why do we read this in the Old Testament of people praying constantly and things like that? Why do they continue to ask? And here's the application point. Is it because... They trusted God to follow through and answer their prayers. Right? They trusted God completely in each of these situations. They didn't have a whole lot of doubt. Um, you can kind of read through some of the situations and kind of see it. But you see that they are trusting God so much to follow through with this that they just know that he'll do it. But they also know that it's going to be in his time. right? So author and theologian E.M. Bounds, who wrote several books on prayer... So in one of his books called The Necessity of Prayer, he says, Trust is firm belief that is faith in full flower. Right? So he says this, that trust is our firm belief and it's, it is faith in full flower. Right? So we can say we have faith. Right? It's easy to say, oh, I have faith. I have faith in you. If your kids learn to drive, you have faith that they have passed their driving test. It's a whole other thing when you trust them and give them the keys. Right? That's a whole other exercise to say, all right, here are the keys to the car. And Mason's got his hand up over back there. <laughs> no. Right? You're trusting them to hurdle down the road at 60, 70 miles an hour in a three or 4,000 pound vehicle and not crash by themselves or crash into somebody else, right? It's a whole different story when we say that, yes, I have faith in God, but are you trusting God? Because the Greek word, the pistos, right, it means everything. It means the faith and the belief and the trust, right? It's, it's for, for the Greeks, it's all kind of wrapped up in one word. For us, we have the different words that are, that are intermingled. They're all kind of synonyms. They, they, they all kind of go together, but sometimes we separate them. Right? And we say that I have faith, but I don't. I don't live my faith, right? So that's why when people say, oh, I'm living in my faith. I'm living out this faith, right? So it's another thing. That's what our exercise is, right? We have to exercise this muscle. Because prayer by itself is nothing more than empty words, right? And so Jesus warns it. Don't pray like the pagans who just repeat things or just have this big, long mantra. Because it's something that's supposed to be soothing or whatever. You just kind of say this phrase over and over and over again. There's nothing to that, really. Or there can, it can become nothing, it can become empty. But when we really get down on our knees and we pray, right, when we pray this way, it goes hand in hand with trust. Because you're going to God and you're coming to this door and you're asking and seeking and knocking because you expect him to fulfill whatever it is you're asking. Now, he may fulfill that in a different way than what you're asking specifically, right? But he is going to fulfill it one way or another. And sometimes no is the answer, just to kind of throw that as an aside. And Bounds goes on to say, 
that trust grows nowhere more readily and richly than in their prayer chamber. When you have to go to that door, right, as a third grader, I had to go to these people's doors I didn't know, and I hope this stranger, you know, will buy something from you. I had to do this. I had to trust this person that they would do something, right? Because trust is the exercise that you perform to develop your faith. And as we put our, put, put our trust in God, right, we're not putting it in the Word of God. It's not just what the Bible says, but we're actually putting our trust and faith in the person of God, right? It's different. We are trusting the person of God to do all these things because the word of God is powerful, but the word right here, the printed word, is not going to get us what we need. It's actually God who is going to fulfill these things. He's going to fulfill that order if you look at it that way in a sense. And so when we pray in persistence, we do so because we think God is going to fulfill these prayers. Right. So we're looking at giving good gifts in verses 10 and 11. And so this next section, Jesus mentions his two items. Right, a bread and fish. And so he says in, in verse 9, he says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? All right, so he uses these, these pictures. Right, he's telling, telling the story. He's using pictures, right? So bread, if you look at a loaf of bread... Like the rounder loaves of bread, right? It can look like a big stone, right? And the fish, depending on what kind of fish you catch, it can look a little bit like a snake or they're, you know, people think snakes are slimy or whatever. They, they kind of, one's a reptile, one's a, you know, fish, but they're, they're different, but they look similar enough, right? So, and of course, fish you can eat, snakes not so much, and snakes can bite you if they're poisonous and kill you. Perhaps the fish won't necessarily do that. But it's using these word pictures, and so in chapter 6, again, he is instructing the disciples, right, how to pray. He says, give us this day our daily bread, right? Ask, he, he tells us to ask for this daily bread. Just give me a loaf of bread that I need that I can feed my family with, right? We won't make a bunch of sandwiches. We put the fish on the, the, the fish is the meat, right? So, you, so the, the first century equivalent of bologna, I guess. You can make a little sandwich. But this is what he says, right? So we're children. We are here asking every day. We're asking the Father every day for our daily bread, and we expect that he is not going to give us a stone because we can't eat the stone. And if we do get a stone, I would think that perhaps he's giving us a stone for a reason, maybe to throw it at the giant that we need to kill. I don't know, right? But if I'm asking for one thing, he's not going to give us another thing. He's not going to give us something completely detrimental to us. He's going to give us the thing that needs to sustain us, right? Because the bread and fish, these are staples in the first century, especially in this region of Galilee where everybody, a lot of people were fishermen. Right? And for the apostles, at least, we're, we're all professional fishermen. So they understood this idea, right? And I'm not sure if it's foreshadowing on Jesus' part or maybe Matthew looking backwards because he has already lived through all this history, basically. He's lived through this part. But right, we know that the fishes and loaves, with, with these fishes and loaves, Jesus feeds thousands and thousands of people. So I'm not sure if it's a kind of a callback or some foreshadowing a little bit or just kind of, just kind of just what it is because that's all they had to eat back then. Right, but it's an interesting kind of thing to look at. But Jesus says if we're capable as sinful people, he's saying, look, you guys are all, we're all fallen creatures. We're all fallen creatures. If you guys know how to give good gifts to your children, now you know that you're not going to give your kid a lump of coal for Christmas, right? I mean, unless they really deserve it, maybe. But if we can give good gifts to our kids, then how much better can the one and mighty perfect God, the, the Father, 
give, to th- give things to his children. And so when we go to ask, we don't need to be afraid of getting something we don't need or don't, don't want necessarily because he's going to be the one to answer our prayers. He's going to be the one who's saying, yes, this is what you need today. Here's some rye bread today. Here's some sourdough bread tomorrow, whatever it is. It may be different types of bread, but it's all bread nonetheless. And so Manasseh, who was the king, was a wicked man. And he had done everything he could against the God of his father. Yet in Babylon, when he cried out to God, right there, exiled, his cry was heard and he was taken out of prison and put on the throne at Jerusalem. And so surely if God gave heed to the prayer of wicked Manasseh, he will hear our prayers in the time of our distress. And is not this a time of distress with a great number of our fellow men? Right? This is Dio Moody again saying this. But again, there's been distresses and things like this all throughout history. Right? This is, we're not the only ones going through any kind of things with, with the coronavirus or just with daily life sometimes. Right? Our hearts are burdened. Our hearts are burdened with this particular incident, with all this, all this stuff here. Uh, but it's also just burden for our family. right? Our family members who aren't saved, who don't know the Lord, or maybe they said they did, and they kind of backslid they fall off the right they fell off the wagon as it is um we're praying those are the more immediate needs we have right those are the ones we're praying for all the time probably right and as we go to the throne of grace right as we going to god let us remember that god answers our prayers and that should motivate us to keep going and asking because we're not getting this snake if we ask for a fish he's not going to give us this thing and so here's the application is God will provide you with the items or opportunities to fulfill his will. Right, and so you got to remember too, this, this, so chapters 5, 6, and 7 are all one big sermon. So he's giving this lesson just continuous, right? And so all this stuff links together. I'm not sure how long it takes to read the whole thing. You just read it, but my guess is it probably wouldn't take all that long to read the whole thing by itself if he was just giving it. Right, so he's looking at these things and, and he's making, he's coming back to certain key points. And prayer is obviously mentioned a couple times in here, so it's obviously a key point. And so he is giving these things to say, look, here's what prayer is and what it is, right? And so he's, Jesus is counting on the people who are going to become believers that they can make these connections. They can connect chapter 6 with chapter 7 as well as how we say it, how his words in those chapters have, as we have labeled them to know and understand how important prayer is and what it means and what it means of what he's saying about this. And so then we move on to, to verse 12, which I, I titled, or I, I gave the name Re- Reciprocal Generosity. And so verse 12 is the end of this part of the chapter. And, and a couple weeks ago I said this kind of bookends uh, chapter 7, verse 1, and chapter 7, verse 12, right? They're, they're kind of the bookends that make this section. And it's how we're treating people, right? When we look at treating people how we want to be treated, right? That's, that's really what this is. And, and so we know this is the golden rule, I right? Do unto others. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, or do unto others as, they would, as you would have them do to you is kind of what the other, some of the other versions say. <clears throat> And so this couples nicely with this idea of reciprocal generosity, right? And we know this because he uses the word therefore, or in some of the versions, right? It says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you. So there's no, it's not just hanging out there by itself. He didn't just kind of tack this onto some section just because he had nowhere else to put it, right? It's, it's a therefore. So that word is a linking word to the rest of this, this praying and judging and asking and seeking. It's all linked together, right? So, so whatever people ask of you, 
you should not want to give them a stone if they're asking you for bread. Right? Because we have a lot of human interaction. You know, people are asking us for things. Our kids ask for stuff. Other, other strangers may ask for things. Right? So it's, and even some of the other versions, they say, so whatever you do, right? whatever you want. So all these words are connecting it, and it's just there. Right? It's, it's connected to all these things. And so really the bottom line is that we should not judge people unless we are prepared to be judged, right? We should also give people the things who ask us for things because we want to receive the things that we ask for as well, right? If I ask somebody for a bread, piece of bread or a loaf of bread, I would like to get that loaf of bread as well. I wouldn't want a stone. Like, what, do you, what am I going to do with this? I guess maybe I could go throw it at the gophers. So maybe it would work, especially out here. We have a good hunting ground, right? But really, what I'm asking for is a piece of bread. I want some bread. And so get, we're not going to belabor this point because this is something we all kind of know. Right? This is kind of like the faith part. We all know this part. But the thing is, the trust part is, do we do it? Do we really treat people like we want to be treated? Because really, that's the thing. So here's the application for this is, is that as God is good to his children, so do the same to your neighbor's. All right, so as God is good to his children, so do the same to your neighbors, right? So we have a, an opportunity each time we interact with people to act a little bit like God and be generous to people, right? We can be generous to other people. So this really comes into play probably if you have to go to Costco later today, if they're open, or any other stores, right? Because it's, it's, I, I want to make sure we all understand the seriousness of it, but it, levity is kind of a good way to, to do this because... I almost see this like it's almost like a Christmas thing where you're waiting for your favorite toy, but now it's an actual real thing because you want, need bread, water, food, milk, whatever, and they may or may not be there for people. And so the, we're going to be faced with some choices. Do we get in a fist fight over some eggs or maybe we share it or something? Somehow you figure out some way to say, well, you can have six eggs and I can have six eggs and we both get some eggs. Because I'd really prefer not to starve or not go hungry today or tomorrow, and I would prefer that you don't either. Right? And so this is kind of an appropriate thing because our, this is where things get tested. Again, it's easy to say I have faith, but we get tested when we have to actually trust somebody with that. We have to trust God to give us. We, we get tested when we are faced with actually interacting with people. It's easy to say I like people until I'm around them. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe not. <laughs> right? I, know, I think uh, with all these quarantines, there's a lot of introverts that are loving it. They're like, yeah, I don't have to go anywhere. Woo! Right? I don't even have to go to work because I know even at work, we're talking about possibly working from home. And there's people I'm sure that they would love that you know, because they don't want to be around people because it stresses them out. It taxes them. And so we're not always going to do this, though. We're not always going to treat our neighbor as good as God would treat us. Right? For those of us who are married, our spouse is our closest neighbor. So along with our kids, right? So they should be the first beneficiaries of our generosity. Right? Exactly. Our spouse is the one that lives right next to us. We don't even have to go next door. This is right in the next room. And we all know that, you know, living together is definitely some challenges, has challenges to it. But they are the one we should get our first and most amount of generosity. But again, it's tested. And so when we treat others like we want to be treated, right, we start to exercise this empathy. It's easy to be sympathetic in a way, but it's, it's a little bit harder to be empathetic. 
And so when we put ourselves in someone else's shoes in a situation that we may find ourselves in later as well, right? This is powerful because it makes us think. It makes us humble ourselves and, and we think, stop thinking about our needs and start thinking about someone else's needs. So as a first sergeant, you deal with a lot of people problems. Right? You're dealing with people, you're taking care of them, they have all kinds of situations. Some are just, most of them are self-induced. A lot of them are just kind of sometimes in other stuff, right? So Austin, when he was, he was what, he was in 17, 18 years old or something like that, he asked me, he's like, he's like, how do you deal with all these people and not either laugh at them or yell at them as they come in your office? Because some of them are, I'll be totally honest, if you hear, if you hear stories later or whatever, some of them are, are comical later, right? But what I told him was, I said, look, I said, when they come in the office, so they're dealing with some very real problem at the time. Whatever it is, it's a big deal to them. Whether I can look at it and go, okay, we'll just do this and we'll fix it, right? Because I've already been through it and it's not really affecting me either, right? But I have to take it and say, okay, wait, I understand this is a big deal to you. Whatever it was, right? And it's, it's for everybody, right? So you have to, I have to stop and put myself aside and go, okay, what do you need? How can I fix it? How can I help you? And how can we avoid this situation later, right? And so he kind of didn't get it because he's, you know, he's younger, so he doesn't understand the point of it. But again, I mean, he's still de- he was developing his empathy at that point because right? he's a kid. It's really, sometimes, some people don't get it initially or it's not natural to them. And so when we do this, right, we, we exercise this, we start thinking about somebody else. We start asking, okay, what do you need? Not what I need, but what do you need? And so it all works out. Because God is going to provide for you, because maybe possibly because you provided for somebody else. And so God had this ultimate empathy, right, by stepping down onto the earth and becoming a man. He understood he has never sinned. God is incapable of sin. Jesus never sinned. But he understood what it meant to us, the ramifications of our sin. He knows what it did. It destroyed the whole world. And so he has this empathy. And he knew that we, as human beings, could never earn our way back to righteousness to him. So he made a way for us to do this. He made a way to do this. So he took our place on the cross, and he withstood God's wrath that is now otherwise reserved for people who do, are not believers or will not become believers, right? And that, that wrath will be poured out on the end, at the end times on all the other non-believers. We are not going to feel or face God's ultimate wrath. We will be gone before that happens. Kind of no matter what you see, or even no matter how you kind of skin revelation of when we go from the rapture and all this other stuff, we will not be around for God's full-on opened, opened book pouring out of the wrath. Right? And so that he had the ultimate empathy by sacrificing himself for us. And so we can do the same by, by sacrificing things that we would otherwise want for other people to have so they could have, so we could give good gifts. And so wrapping it up, right? So asking, seeking, and knocking. They're not just synonyms, right, for the same process because you can kind of take and go, oh, this is kind of the same thing, right? But these words indicate a journey. And on the journey, you change. On this, you know, when you go on journeys, when, when you started your Christian journey, when you got saved, you are now different, most likely, than you were that day, no matter how long it's been. And so all three of these words are also verbs, right? These are... This is an active process. This is something we do, not something we've done. 
Right? We are con- and we are constantly doing it. Right? It's, it's an ongoing thing. Until the day we die, we should never stop asking, seeking, and knocking. Because we have to do it on a regular basis. It's not just something that's a, uh, we've talked about it before when we've talked about prayer, but it's not a last resort. Right? Oh, I have nothing else to do, so I better pray. You should have prayed first and then did stuff and then prayed again in the middle and then prayed again then did some stuff and then prayed and you keep doing that, right? It's your shampoo, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. I never get out of the shower. It's happened to my hair. I washed it too much. But it's okay. You can never pray too much, right? You can never, you're not going to go bald because you prayed too much. You're going to get things. You're going to be in touch with God's will, right? Because when we exercise that, right, that's what we should be asking, seeking, and knocking for, really, is the kingdom of God and his will. Everything we do, whenever we come to this position of saying, God, you are the Father. Here, here's what I, you know, I recognize who you are. This is what I want. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me what you need from me. And we have to be prepared for the answer because sometimes you're going to say, oh, I need you to do this. And like, well, I don't want to do that, right? It's not a negotiation process. It's we're on this journey and we're going to these places. And so we exercise this faith in our actions by trusting that God will give us the good gifts we need to complete his will. And we, we can reciprocate with our actions towards others while we're here on this earth. Right? We love because God loved us. Right? We show generosity because God showed us grace we can show others grace as well. So the question this week, right, especially in these turbulent times that we're in today for the next couple weeks at least, maybe a month or so, who knows, is how are you treating others when they are also dealing with the long lines, the lack of resources, and the unknowns of the week to come, weeks to come? Because a lot of this stuff doesn't change just because there's a corona, there's some kind of virus. We all have limited resources. We all don't know what's going to happen from day to day. And so we need to be graceful to each other. We need to be more loving towards each other. We need to be a little kinder uh, to each other as well, right? So as we sing our last couple songs, as we pray, as we go through this, like think about how, how much and what you're praying for. So let's stand, and as the band comes up, we'll, we'll get ready to sing Amazing Love.